Well, welcome to the front porch, and I'm Lewis Love, and welcome to part two of a discussion I'm having with my very, very special guest. Want to welcome him again to the front porch, Stephen Love. Yay! Good to be back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Man, glad to have you back. And in part two of this of this conversation that we're having, you know, um, you have listened to you have listened to part one to get the full gist. But if it, Steve, I would even like to go one step further and uh, would like to post on the front porch your um, the the thing you posted on Facebook. If we could post that as well. And so that would be Absolutely. just a, a post out there. And this this is the conversation about uh, the things that happen. You're a seminary student in Chuliota. Am I pronouncing that properly? That's correct. Chuliota. Chuliota, uh, Florida, which is outside of a town called Ovidio, Oviedo, which is where Reformed Theological Seminary is. You are a seminary right. student, yeah, which is just right outside of Orlando, Florida. I always mm-hmm. say, folks, Stephen went to school in Orlando because ain't nobody heard of no Oviedo and certainly ain't heard of no Chuyota. <laughs> so I say he went to school in Orlando, and that's what everybody says, right? Matter of fact, they call what it art. They, yeah, they, they call, call it RCS that. They, see, they, they know. Uh, they know nobody know where I they think, really are. <laughs> I, think it, I think it actually started in Orlando proper, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Uh, that was a long, long time ago, but Carter was there a long, long time ago. So oh. he will be able to tell. <laughs> so, yeah, we need to we need to talk to uh, uh, Anthony Carter because it probably was in Orlando when he was there, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was that was that was before Disney World. So, <laughs> <we talking. laughs> yeah, we we have to get him on here just to confirm uh, just how life was when RTS was actually in Orlando. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, man, we're having this conversation about uh, some of your experiences. Well, one in particular of your experience while you were there out for a jog. And um, uh, similar to um, Ahmad Arbery. Arbery. Now, you know what? I just want to say this right quick, too, man, because, you know, you know, a lot of folks like to major in the minors. So a bunch of folks, you know. It's clear. It's clear from from the video that um, Katz was in was in truck, <laughs> you know, armed, and uh, he tried to run around the truck. That's clear in the video, and uh, and he was shot. He was shot and killed. He was he was murdered. And so, according to their own testimony, he was. They suspected him of of doing some stuff in the hood, in their neighborhood, and all of that. Um, and so then people have come out. <clears throat> have said, well, he wasn't out for a jog. Stop, stop the lying, stop the lying. He wasn't out for a jog. He was, you know, he started running after he came out of a house and he was in a house. Well, the owner has since come out and said nothing was taken out of his home, out of their home, as that was in construction phrase, being remodeled or something. Nothing was taken, nothing's ever been taken. That They've already come out and made that really clear through their attorney. But I want to say this, Stephen. I don't care if he's out for a a run, (laughs) a jog. I don't care if he was skipping or playing hopscotch. That that just does not really matter when it comes to what happened to him. It doesn't. So that's a that's a moot point. So folks that say that say, well, he wasn't really jogging. He didn't deserve to be killed. But 
He didn't deserve to be killed. Full stop. That's it. End of Period. it. End of yeah. it. Okay. That's right. You, you know, cats had no business run up on him. You know, in a truck, uh, load armed, and and killing, murdering, executing. You say, uh, this unarmed man. Okay, that's just that's just the bottom line. I mean, you know, that's just it. So you were out, but you were actually out jogging, trying to get in shape for your wedding day, right? That's right. And I I I saw you. I you know I saw you on your wedding day. You should have jogged a little more. Well, my dog got hindered. Oh, that's true. That's true. You would have. <laughs> racism has multiple implications. And, and one of them is my lack of six pack. So I, I could have ran for longer. But, you could have. You, know, but you, were, you were cut off. You were cut short. Yeah. That's people, right. People don't let, me, know. let me just speak into that. I mean, Go ahead. regardless, you can take it a step even back further. Mm-hmm. In that whatever happened in the video, there should his jog, his lane should not have been impeded. No, there should not have been a truck with armed men blocking his path. That should have never been the case. That's right. Uh, especially for something where they didn't even understand what, what was taking place. Him, right. him looking inside of a of a construction site, which makes them having this vigilante attitude even worse. It's worse to begin with, but when you add on top of that, an ignorant vigilante attitude and an uninformed. Uh, of what the local laws are, then that makes it even makes it doubly worse. And so sure. um, that whole situation is just evil manifested and should never have occurred. Should never have occurred. Just, and that's and that's what that's and, and that's what makes your what happened to you line up because you're out for a morning jog and no one. No one had any right, any business asking you or interrogating you about what you were doing. No one. That's just the bottom line. That's just the bottom line. Those guys were way off the perimeter coming to, and no, in your neighborhood, well, they have a right. No, they don't have a right to do that. Because like you said, if depending upon your response, you know, your mom and I would have been this day still mourning you because you're out for, for a run. And that's kind of, you know, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but I want to get, get to the, um, you survived because we're having this conversation and then folks will read, they're going to read your, um, your, your post. They're going to read that. Um, but you, I want to talk about this range of emotions that you said that you, that you went through. You said immediately, I felt fear. My life was at risk. I think folks kind of get that. Shame. And you explain that I temporarily hated my own black skin. Flesh that out for me a little bit. Well, that was the very reason behind getting stopped in the first place. I mean, that was the very reason behind a truck pulling up on you. And um, in those moments, you know, for me, you know, the thought ran through my head, which is why the shame came as a direct result, is this this wouldn't happen if if I wasn't black. And I, I can run down the street just as free as I want to run and not have this happen if I, if I wasn't black. Um, so in that moment, you know, you start to think, well, what if instead of instead of glorying in 
how the Lord has uh, mm. created me, you start to say, well, man, this wouldn't happen if I wasn't if I wasn't this way, mm. you know. And so and, and so shame as a result, <clears throat> because, you know, you you and you and you and mom and how you raised us and 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 to and to praise the Lord <clears throat> for how he created me as a black man. And uh, the shame comes as a result of even doubting that or, or disliking that for even a moment. Mm. It's another one of those things, I think, Stephen, that um, folks don't quite understand when we you know when we try to express these things. And they just they just give us a time <clears throat> and join in the conversation and and listen. You know, they'll they'll hear they'll hear what we're saying. I think a lot of our a lot of our white brothers jump to conclusions too fast without hearing the story. Need to hear the story. They need to hear <clears throat> a an educated, uh, promising black man, right? Never never raised to despise his people, uh, but to glory to glorify God because of the way He's made fearfully and wonderfully made in all of my blackness at a moment in time at a moment in time all of that <clears throat> is, is almost jettisoned or could be jettisoned and that's that's what that's what i think our you know they need to listen and hear because like you said <clears throat> it's never you know they don't understand that and I don't think they're going to understand it by listening to you say it, but they do need to listen to you say and tell your story. Because I am a black man. And that just when I read that, it just like it, it just put me in a whole different, you know, I had to I had to pause for a moment. And wrap my mind around that. And. Um, that, that, you just need to, that's one of them statements, Stephen, folks need to hear you say and just sit with it for a moment. <laughs> take a sip of coffee, take a sip of tea, and sit with it for a moment and let that resonate. Let that resonate. So we're on the front porch. I know your kids are coming around. We're on the front porch and stuff, and they coming in the room, and every coming up on the porch and trying to get involved in the conversation. That's what little kids do, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so that's that's uh, that's all, that's that's the baby, right? That's the baby with you, Stephen. See, the, the benefits of technology is that you can mute it. Oh, okay, you know, okay, so, okay. You know, you won't hear any interruptions. Yeah, but folk need to know we're on the porch, man. So on the porch, you know, people stop and get lemonade, get tea, and children come up on the porch sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. Now let me ask you: Un unwanted guests come on the porch all the time. Uh, un <laughs> unwanted guests, that's right. Let let me let me run this, Stephen. Let let me run this too. Something you said, um, guilt. So folks understand the fear. They need to sit with the shame thing for a moment. It's just guilt, guilt. I had to exaggerate my personality to say stay to stay safe. H help folks lean into that a little bit for me, Steve. About this guilt, this guilt thing, man. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you you. I would say overall, I'm a pretty pretty nice guy. You know, I think my, Over, my wife and kids probably agree with that. Overall, 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 overall. But uh, <clears throat> when you're going, when you're out for a run, you know, you're not thinking about 
I need to be this exaggerative, happy-go-lucky person. I'm just out there trying to go for a run. And so when, when you have to, um, you know, exaggerate how you're feeling in the moment, when you have to smile, this painful <clears throat> smile, just to feel like you can get out of this situation safely. Um, mm. that, that's, that's, that's a, um, uh, a terrible feeling that I, I'm not feeling this way, but in order to stay safe, I have to pretend to be something I, that I'm not. When I'm doing something that I have every right to be doing, um, and so that that type of emotion, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's simply a terrible uh, feeling and emotion to deal with in the spur of the moment. Quickly, you sort of go through that thinking of I, I just need to, you know, like I said in the last uh, mm-hmm. in part one, I got to be extra, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. extra nice, mm-hmm. extra smiley. Um, so yeah. that they see that I'm not what, what they think I am. It's, it's part of the it's part of the guilt. Yeah, you have to do all that, and part of the guilt that that you did it, that you did it, that you didn't do something else. You know, people always say, "Man, I mean, you, something, some somebody say something to you, <laughs> and maybe this is wrong. Somebody say something to you, and you and you deal with it in a way uh, that you need to deal with it to diffuse it, and then later on you feel like, man, I should I should have, you know." Man, I, I and, and, and you feel like <laughs> you feel like you you were less than yourself on the whole thing, and you wish you had a dealt with it in a more of aggressive way, but you couldn't, right. and you didn't. Is that is that part of it too, or? Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, people say, I mean, I was, "Now that I think about it, I should have said this." Yeah, yeah right. Know, so that's it. Get, that's it. You get upset, but no, it, it is in that moment. Uh, what their actions. Re- what what they called for was not a big smile for me. Mm. What their actions called for was you have no right to be stopping asking me anything. Mm. I don't have to talk. I don't have to address you. I don't have to talk to you. Please just keep it moving. But <laughs> in that circumstance, mm. you know, you, again, you play out the what ifs as I look back on it. Um, they were clearly prepared to take action since they stopped in the first place. And so if I would have went there with them, what what would have happened? So the guilt is like, I, I should have responded mm. in a, a right manner and say, hey, you guys, yeah, you know, you, you have no right to be stopping me. But the guilt is like, hey, now I got to smile mm. and, and uh, you know, exuberant when it, it doesn't, situation doesn't call for that. Mm. You even said earlier that you had to take the bass out of your voice. You know, you had to lighten right. up even the even the you know the pipes that God has given you. Uh, you had to adjust them. Uh, that's all. All of that's going on in a moment. Now, people people don't understand. We ain't talking about no five, fifteen, twenty minutes. This is all like pow, 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 pow. Right. right? Yeah. That's right. Okay. And so this this next thing you said that that folks when they read your your post, they're gonna. Um, want to try to get it or they should try to get a handle on you said I felt regret why did I have to run in the first place I think of all the things that you said Stephen um, that one I need you to talk about to me um, regret why did I have to run in the first place you told us why you were running get ready to be the, groom, ready to be the groom of all grooms right that's right that's right <laughs> 
what what's going on here? Uh, what's going on with this piece? What's going on there? Well, it was one of those questions of is, is it worth it? <laughs> See, mm. a lot of times, and this is part of listening in on a conversation with with individuals who have gone through this and truly understanding, is that we have to analyze situations of is it worth it when other people do not have to ask that question. Mm. Uh, many people, I imagine, woke up that morning and went for a run. And when they got back home, they didn't say, man, was that run worth my life? <laughs> was it worth it? I mean, I'm mm. feeling bad now because I, they didn't have to analyze that. But in the moment, it's a regret. Like, man, I should have just stayed home and, mm. um, and not gone for a run because a run is worth putting my life on the line. That's the type of analysis that we oftentimes have to go through when it shouldn't be required mm. of us for simply going for a run or going to the store or driving our car or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that type of sort of risk analysis of normal everyday activities we sometimes regret doing because it it could very well, as we have seen time and time again, cost us our, our lives. Mm. You know, sometimes you can you I, what I call pre- prophetic regret. Right. Well, you you something you're going to get ready to embark upon and you say, man, I might regret this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I might end up regretting this. No one ever thinks about that when you're going for a run in the morning. I'm, I might regret this. No, you think I'm going for a run. There's nothing to be. Re- That's nothing except, you know, I mean, something to regret to even be prophetic in your regret. So that's all in a sure. moment. That's in a moment that that came up on in a moment's time, where all those things flash through a, through a person's mind. Um, when, like you said, you shouldn't have to even process that or even be prophetic about it. You're like you go to the ice cream store, right? <laughs> we have what we call up here Oberweiss. Remember Oberweiss when you were living here, right? You fire. It's fire, fire, right? Oh, man, goodness. You say, well, you getting that, I might regret this double scoop someday, but you don't do that when you go for a run in the morning. That's right. It's not going to. That's right. You, you, might, you might regret say, I, I, you know, I probably should do this. I might get a little sore. You Something know, like that, yeah. That. But now my life is on the line. And now you're talking about prophetic. Um, and now you're talking about, you know, foretelling and foretelling. I'm talking, I'm going to lean into sort of the foretelling now mm-hmm. in that there is a precedent that has been set now. Mm-hmm where this has happened and it took months now to arrest these these guys who did this. So now the precedent I'm talking about is now you will have individuals, people of color who will second guess going to run now that a precedent has been set that if they fit the description or if they thought to be, I've been doing something they actually weren't, this type of action can be taken against them. Mm. Yeah. So now, yeah, things you, yeah. And that's, <clears throat> that's again, something that I think folks need to sit with for a while as we, as we talk about uh, the, the explosive race relations in our country in particular right now, this moment. It's been going on for years. We know that since its inception, but really has uh, turned up uh, in, recent, in recent days, uh, recent months, recent years. And um, yeah, they need to sit with that, especially those who are on, who are who have the position that uh, something needs to be done, 
and and they're seeking to listen into and and and, and uh, come alongside uh, people of color, hear these stories, and and sit with us, and um, you know, they need they need to hear this kind of stuff, and this is why we're doing this this podcast, man. And uh, um, you said because um, I'll I could park there for a while, but I won't. Anger, and I think folks will understand that piece. Um, but what uh, you and, and, and as you explained it, why did they have the freedom to do that? That's right. What sort of system has propped them up to feel like they can control blackness or control a black body? What sort of system has propped them up that they thought this this is okay? This is an okay thing to do. Um, and again. If this was a one-off, you might say, well, it wasn't a system. This is just some crazy individuals who felt that they were going to do whatever they wanted to do. But, I mean, the data is in it. Mm -hmm. This takes place time and time again. So if you have a one-off in Texas and then a one-off in Florida and a one-off in New York and a one-off in California and, and never they those paths never cross, <clears throat> then it's not necessarily – it is the individual, but it's a system that they're yeah. operating within that allows them to think this is okay. Yeah. I can yeah. do something like this. Yeah. And, and get away with it. You know, to, I mean, even till it's to its fullest extent, to its fullest extreme and, and can get away with it. And I'm, and I'm glad you, you, you responded like that, Stephen, because that's what folks need to understand. This is, there is a system. There is, um, you know, there, there are policies and all kinds of things in place backed by, um, systems that are supposed to be protecting and helping us like law enforcement and like, like the court system and these, but these are systems that are in place that are aiding and abetting cats like right. this, because I mean, come on, you're not going to, you know, there's lawbreakers, people break laws and things like that, but this is not a one-off law breaking. This is, these, these are people operating quite comfortably in a way that uh, that's cool with them, that they could get away with. Those guys drove off from messing with you to terrorize the next black victim, wherever they might, might not be running this time, might be just going into a store late at night or early in the morning to terror. They've lived to terrorize again. And people just like them because there is a system. So I understand the anger. The anger is why did they have the freedom to act like that, to do that? And they continue to have the freedom over and over again every day. And you said in about 10 other emotions that simultaneously ran through your mind. Stephen, that was a trip, man. That, that was a trip just reading that. Um, that was a, um, a trip for your mother and I. We paused I looked at her. I said, did you did you know about that? And she said, no. Did you? I, I said, I have never heard that. And Janelle says she never heard it. I called your brother. He said he never heard it. And uh, so why didn't why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell your immediate family about that, Stephen? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's 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 a great question. I think. It, I mean, those type of situations, especially, you know, when I was living in Chile, Oda for those three years, 
uh, down in that area. There, and I tell my, my bride this all the time, there have been countless examples that I, I could have used for that Facebook post. Um, but that one came to mind because it was so closely related to to Ahmad Arbery. But there have been countless illustrations I could have used. And so when it happens again and again, you, you don't feel like burdening people with another one of these situations mm. that happen. So he's mm. like, I, I can call my dad and say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. But it's like, man, you know, do I call him when, you know, uh, I'm going to the store, which is across the street from my home, and you get called all kind of things outside your name? Um, and do, do you call every time that happens? And so a part of it is just a an adaptation to a a culture in which you're living. That I, I just have to I just have to live with this. Mm. This is just something that I have to that I have to deal with. And, and instead of burdening someone else, um, I could just sort of bear this burden. Mm. That's crazy because that's another piece of listening in on these conversations because there are many. There are many uh, African-Americans, many people of color, um, because as we as we see, as we see now, um, as we see now, um, even with um, the Asian community, um, uh, with the COVID-19 thing and just ridiculous things that they're facing, uh, racial things that they're facing. And, and, you know, and, you know, and, and one of the most silliest things, I think, is that. People assuming that every everybody is Asian from China, and that's that's just the craziest thing, you know. Right. So right. Um, it's just, you know, that in itself is just blatantly sad, pathetic, evil, and wicked, right? But but one thing people don't don't comprehend is the lone sufferer. You have your mom, your dad, and there are so many so many things that happen to you. That you would feel that it would just burden us because it's happening all the time. And um, they don't cons- people don't consider that the lone sufferer that because I I'm like, my first thing was, why didn't he tell us? You know, and of course, your sister thought you didn't tell us because she felt that you felt that we would come out here and get you and bring you back home. <laughs> <laughs> your brother, your brother felt like you didn't tell us because you felt like he and I would come down there and get and get arrested <laughs> for, yeah, it, for it's, looking it's for, the, more so the for the ladder for the ladder for the ladder. OK, <laughs> you know, for uh, <laughs> for trying to try to hunt these cats down, you know, messing with our but just. Just, I mean, just think about it for a moment. We, yeah. you and I, have never met Ahmad Arbery. We never met his mother. Never met him. No. Um, never met his family and friends down there. And how our hearts were grieved. Yeah. When we found out about that, that is a burden that uh, people in uh, our, our communities. Th- this is the sort of the thread that goes throughout our communities, and that we we feel that. Mm-hmm. We we. We know we know that that type of suffering. And so if I don't my thinking was if I don't needlessly need to burden somebody else, mm. obviously we're close and we're a family with that. Then I, I felt like I don't I don't have to do that. And you're right. There are a lot of a lot of folks who who are lone <laughs> sufferers and yeah. suffering in silence in silence. Yeah. Things, things occur. It's interesting because when you when we read the Janelle read the letter to us uh, or the post to us, Stephen, um, Man, I went back. I went back 10 years. I went back whenever at that time. 
in, in my spirit, and I'm sure your mom did too. And 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 we lived um, uh, for a moment in that time. Um, we lived uh, the terror. Uh, we lived the the fright, being afraid. Um, we lived in that moment, and and then we and then we like we mourned with with uh, Ahmad's mother, and we and we felt in a real real in a real way. We always feel that way when something happens to a young black kid that that could have been our son. We could be that parent. But when we read this story, we felt in a real way we mourned with her. And uh, that could have been, we could have been the parents of a slain son over something, um, something just so ridiculously evil and wicked. Um, we, we felt that. Now, let me ask you this, um, Stephen. Um, how did you decompress? <clears throat> how did you process that? You didn't, you weren't talking, you weren't talking to folk. So how, how did you do that? Yeah. Uh, for time, you know, mm. um, and um, I, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm, I'm a bit of bit of an introvert, and so just just sort of just um, saying, you know, time, this this type of pain and agony is going to pass, or you know, just hey, just get over it, you know, sort of those that self talking that happens. Mm. Um, but you, you sort of decompress. Uh, I did in that way. And just you know, on to the next thing, and that's even me saying that aloud. Sort of how consistent those acts have not only been in my life, but people of lives that, that I love and know and love. That it, it's so regular, and you hear about it so much that it's just like, oh, let's just go on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you almost become. I don't want to say numb to it, but you become almost used to it. Mm. And so mm. it's like the changing of the weather. You don't pause and say, hey, oh, let's just went from spring to summer. Let's pause and reflect upon that. It's like, oh, this, every, this happens every year. Mm. And I, I, that's, that's, the, that's the scary part about what happens in my situation is a larger degree in my situation where it's just becoming, oh, this is just another one. Another hashtag. Mm. Another instance, um, yeah. So you just, yeah, just time. Mm. Well, Stephen, let me ask you this question, and this will be probably my last one. Um, how, how would you? What would you say? Uh, you mentioned already. There's time. You need time. How, how would you counsel uh, young brothers and sisters, people of color, that um, that face um, these kinds of things? How, how would you count? How would you counsel myriads of others that that fall prey to white supremacist racial hatred and that's that's including all minority all minority ethnic all minority ethnicities how how would you what what would you say to them what is your word to them well i'll let you know you and t y'all y'all the best thinkers on this subject i'll let y'all have the final word on that but i would say this (laughs) that the community community is so um it's so important and I, and I had a community down there in um, Chuliota and Oviedo that I can talk to. I think of uh, my friend, my boy, Mike Aitchison. I think of my boy, John Tomberlin. Mike is black. John is white. And uh, if you have, you know, the community of people who um, kind of like Job's friends at first just sit with you. 
Mm. You know, they're not, they're not saying anything. They just sit with you. They, they mourn with you. They're there with you. Um, and then they can they can speak truth uh, into your life. Uh, I think community is so valuable in that. And when I say community, I mean a, a, a variety of people within that community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because after a situation like that, um, you, you know, part of the anger is that this is this is so uh, a part of the culture and the the fabric of our society that it has affected and infected everyone, mm. right? Every every white person is like this, right? That's <laughs> part of the anger. But then you, you sort of realize, and the Lord graces you with people who who are not like that. Mm. Who 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 are standing up for the causes of justice, who are mourning and weeping with those who are mourning. Mm. Um, and you know, my guy John was that way, is that way to this day. We got some people in our community here in South Bend who are that way. Um, and so I think you know it's hard to deal with this out outside. For me, it's hard to deal with this outside of a community of people who sort of come around and stand with you and pray with you and mourn with you and weep with you mm-hmm. uh, when when situations like this uh, arise. Hmm. Mm. Well, man, that's um, I, I thank God for for Big Mike and and John <laughs> and and John, that guitar playing John, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he got he probably could have just played you a sweet song, man. Yeah, on the, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so we're, I thank God for the brothers that God did give you a community down there and uh, Oviedo and Chuliota. I thank God for um, for Larry, you know, your neighbor. Uh, mm-hmm. Who always he always promised us that he's going to look after you and keep an eye on you, and like I said at the very mm-hmm. beginning of part one, I think Larry Larry meant that a lot in a lot deeper way than what I was receiving at the point at the time, uh, not mm-hmm. knowing um, what uh, what was going to uh, what Larry probably had been putting up with a whole lot while he was there also being Native American. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what he would anticipate you would be going through. So I, I thank God for all these people. And, Go ahead. And then throw, throw one more name out there. My boy, my boy, Daniel Chung. Daniel uh, Chung. That's uh, right. My, my, Kore- my Korean brother. And that's why I keep using the phrase people of color, because, right. you know, he, he's able to speak into situations in which, you know, coming from Cali, coming to Chicago, coming to Florida, where he is perceived as something that he is not. And, and so that that just diverse community uh, of brothers who understand and are able to pour into uh, and be poured into it is just something that's invited. So, yeah, I, yeah, Daniel, Pastor Daniel, uh, lot you have a lot of friends, man that, uh, that that God has gifted you with that formed a community with you while you were at Orlando, down in Orlando, even when you were at Moody, close to home. God gave you a bunch of uh, a good a bunch of a bunch of fine brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we're grateful. Grateful for that. I'm glad, Stephen, I'm glad you took the time to come and tell us your story here on the on the porch. Um, tough story to hear, but necessary. Uh, I'm gonna read just the last line uh, of of last couple of lines of your of your post. Um, that um, and we'll close it with that. Okay. So when I say hashtag Ahmad Arbery could have been me, this isn't some pithy, meaningless call to action. It 
is real. It is recent. It is relevant. It is racism. It is repetitive. What if? What if I responded differently? What if I didn't respond at all? What if I made some angry comment? What if I would have felt threatened? What if I would have reached for my phone to call for help? What if I fit the description? These are all questions I get to ask. These are questions Ahmad will never get to ask. And for this, for all of this, I mourn. And we do, Stephen. We mourn. And I'm mourning for that family, with that, with that family. I'm mourning for our country. I'm mourning for all um, the brothers and sisters, people of color who have to go through these kinds of things, who are going through them even as we um, record uh, up here, this podcast up here on the porch. And at the same time, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you are with me on this porch and that God kept you um, in that moment and in the other many moments uh, that you faced and that you will face continuously while there is yet an America. God is sovereign over all of it. And with that, man, thank you so much for coming on the porch. Yeah, man, and sharing your story. Praise God for you, Mandy. And Stephen Jr., Elias, Jade Ruth, and Simeon, better known as Fat Nugget. May the Lord uh, do great work with you all in the ministry there in South Bend. Brother, thank you for coming on the porch, folks. That's going to do it for now. Uh, Please check in with us again in the near future. We're going to come back again and talk about when sinners say I do with Stephen and with Mandy. But again, man, thanks for coming on. That's the wrap. We'll see you guys next time on the front porch.